2 Thessalonians 1, Paul and Savannah and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our Lord, of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight I'll just title the message is A Manifest Token. A Manifest Token. And a manifest token that's taken there from verse 5 is a characteristic indication. Um, And of course this church... The Church of Thessalonica was established under persecution, under affliction. You remember it was Paul had to flee from the city of Thessalonica. Uh, and we don't know how long he spent there, but he had to flee because of the persecution. So there was, it was, that's under the circumstances in which it was established. And even in this letter, he mentions their, the persecution and tribulations that they endured. But a manifest token, and he said that, that this was a manifest token that they endured these things. In other words, it was a characteristic indication of the reality of life of God in them. It was like a sign um, that people would see. Um, you know, when I when I go uh, at a, look at I go look at a house or a property. One of the things I always want to know is, is it a well or does it have city water? So you look around for an indicator of a well. Usually it's a little house or it's one of those rock-looking things in the, sitting in the yard. You know, that it indicates that that's where the well is. Um, you know, sometimes we, uh, you know, sometimes people say, look at physical characteristics of children and say, well, they belong to so-and-so. You know, it's, it, it's, it's an indicator. And this manifest token or indication that they belong to God was that they endured persecutions, tribulations uh, in, in, in their walk with the Lord. So as we consider that tonight, I'm going to notice several things to this passage. First of all, and this is written under those circumstances, but in times of uh, persecution in times of tribulation, you know, that can be pressures from outside, you know, and the pressures of this world. Uh, we, the, we see the security of the child of God in those times. In, in verse uh, 1, we see our position. 
He says, Paul and Savannah and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in God. We are safe in His hand. John 10, Jesus said, uh, And I give unto them eternal life, verse 28, And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So we are safe in the hand of God. We are secured by the power of God. Romans 8, 8 tells us that who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Is there any greater power than God's? And if God is God that justifies, can anyone, it's not even a word, I don't think, unjustify us? Um, you know, we are secure. And, and of course, 1 Timothy 6 tells us that our Lord will show in his time who is the only King of kings and Lord of lords, the only potentate. Uh, and, you know, and, and so, um, you know, we are secured by his power. We, and we also are seated in the heavenlies. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses, verses 1 through 7, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, that is, we were separated from God in our sin, he hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." And the ages come, he might show the exceeding riches in his grace, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So positionally, in the eyes of God, we are already seated with him in the heavenlies. We know that part of our salvation is yet to come. The redemption of the body, Romans 8 talks about that as well. So we're, but positionally, in the mind of God, we're already seated in heaven. Our salvation is complete. All that's, all that's needed to be done for us to be with the Lord, the very presence of the Lord, is already done. It's just a matter of the time for him coming for us. And, you know, when you are born into a family, you're there for life. You're there for life. You know, God's family is eternal. And when you're born into God's family, you are there for eternity. And so we are secure. Even in times of judgment, we are secure in the in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing we see here, the child of, we see the, child, the suffering of the child of God through judgment. In verses 2 through 5, he talks about the hardships. He says, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, it's interesting that he says, your faith groweth exceedingly in the midst of persecutions and tribulations. Uh, you know, it seems, and I think history bears this out, that in times of persecution, true Christian faith grows. Uh, 
you know, when the, in the, early, the days of the early churches, uh, during the Roman persecution, churches grew. Churches grew. Although they tried to, to, to uh, uh, eradicate them, they grew and they multiplied. In fact, they, there was an old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more they put to death, the more there was. Uh, and I think there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, we see the sufferings and hardships of life. You know, they're, they're fruits of the sin of mankind, starting with Adam. But, but of course, God uh, must judge sin. And, and the Thessalonians were glorifying uh, God through their suffering. You know, it, we're, we're not immune to that as Christians because of the, we, we live in a sin-cursed world. And Satan is the god of this world. But so from the very beginning, this church was persecuted. The word tribulation here means pressure or pressing together, peer pressure. You know, the world wants to pressure you into its mold to make, make you go along with their agenda. Go along with their agenda. And, 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 and you know, they're, they're, that's getting more and more. Uh, as we see the day of the Lord's return approaching, and I, and I believe it will, uh, as the Bible says so. But I want to notice several things about this, even in the midst of suffering. First of all, our power, and that is in the grace of God. In verse 2 says, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace means here goodwill or loving kindness or favor. It speaks of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to exercise of the Christian virtues. You know, we, we often say that grace simply means the unmerited favor of God, and it does. But there's also an influence here of power uh, that, and strength that God gives that, that is uh, how the word grace is used. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So, so it wasn't just the grace of God that saved him. It was a grace that enabled him to endure the sufferings and the hardships of life and to accomplish what he did with his life for the Lord. It was the grace of God that strengthened him, gave him knowledge, and, and helped him uh, through his, the, his, his journey here on earth. So our power is the grace of God. That's what enables us to carry on. Uh, it's only the grace of God. Uh, we see our posture in verse 2 also, and that is grace unto you and peace. The word posture means a mental or spiritual attitude. We have peace of God. Peace of God, the peace of God enables us to stay focused, confident, to be able to think right. You know, if you get all worked up, if, if, you, if you live by your emotions, you're not going to think right. No, we need to have the peace of God permeate our heart and our soul so that we can make right decisions in times of pressure. And this is what tribulation means, pressure. The world's going to pressure us. In that, you know, that's part of life. Uh, it enables us. Uh, Philippians four six, a couple of verses. Philippians four six says says this. 
Let your, uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be named note unto God. So it's really the idea here is of committing yourself to God. That's what Jesus did. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, First Peter 3 tells us. So be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God enables us to be unshaken by the trials and tribulations and the pressures of life. Uh, you know, there's a song, um, Constantly Abiding is the title of it. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave. A peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may abound like a cloud, I have a peace that has come there to stay. So, it enables us to stand when others will not. It enables us to, to, to go against uh, the world and, and to obey God. Uh, enables us to walk with the Lord, to hear to the law of Christ, to have Bible-based convic- convictions. You know, it's the peace of God that keeps us focused. Focused in the midst of trials and tribulation. And so we need to have this posture, uh, keeping uh, you're resting in the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Where there is divine justification, the peace of God is a reality. It's a reality. You know, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 26.3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And so our posture needs to be, our mental or spiritual attitude needs to be the peace of God. Uh, the peace of God dwelling in us. The third thing we see here is the proof of our salvation in verse 5. That is the manifest token, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. So, so the grace of God that's evident, the peace of God that permeates our minds, these things are proofs of our salvation. Again, they're characteristic indication. Characteristic indication. A manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy. Now, we probably wouldn't say or wouldn't ask to be counted worthy to suffer. I don't know that anybody that likes to suffer. But he says here, that you may be counted worthy. The obvious thing is, look, if you're suffering, it's because you're glorifying Christ. Or, or you're suffering because of your own sin. But it was these people, he says they were counted worthy of suffering, so they were glorifying, and, and, and he'll mention that a little bit later, but... But it was bringing glory to God. So their, their, their suffering was worthy of the kingdom of God. It was worthy. And again, it's a manifest token that they were suffering. Now, look at, I want to look at a couple other verses here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> Almost all the Bible writers talk about this. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10 says, For we do not be... We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure 
above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. So the pressure was so great that they thought they were going to die. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver it, in whom we trust that we, he will yet deliver us. And of course, ye also helping together by prayer for us. Prayer, prayer helps. But he says, they would, they, he said, don't be ignorant. You know, we were pressed out of measure. We were under intense pressure in Asia. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Macedonia and some of those places, they were, they, Philippi, they were thrown in jail. And, and so they, they, you know, they, they thought they were going to die. But, but he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. In other words, our life, you know, Paul would say it in Philippians, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. My life's not my own. And so, he said, we shouldn't trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. It's God that gives life. And, and so, we need to trust in him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14, Peter, 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 14 says this, Beloved, thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. The word strange here means don't be surprised or astonished or taken back. Rejoice, verse 13, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So, so don't think it's strange. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't be astonished if, if concerning trials, pressures, the world's going to pressure you. Hey, I don't know if you realize the world doesn't like us. They don't like us. That ought not to surprise us. Just as the world hated Jesus, though there were some that loved him, but the world as a whole hated him. And, you know, there's, there's some people in the world that love me. There's some people that hate me. In fact, the world hates me. The world system is against me and you. Though there are some in the world that love us. And so we ought not be surprised at that. Uh, and don't think it's strange if we suffer or if we, if we face pressures in life. Go also to Philippians chapter 1, verse 28-29. There's an interesting thing here that I, <clears throat> I uh, came across today. In first, Philippians chapter 1, verse 28-29 says this. Let's start at verse 27. Not only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, so that ought to be our manner of living, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Now think about what he's saying here. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be terrified because of your adversaries. You know, we have adversaries in this world. 
Because we live in a world whose God is our adversary. The God of this world, Satan is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says that he is our adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So, so we, and this he says, and nothing terrified by your adversaries, which, notice this, is to them an evident token. There's that word. Because of the pressure or the persecution the world throws at you, it's an indication to them of the condemnation of God. Notice this again what it says. And nothing terrified by your enemies, which is to them an evident token of perdition. The fact that we're not terrified is, is to them an evident token or an indication that they are under the judgment. They are condemned. They are perishing. They are guilty before God. You ever wonder why sometimes the world reacts in hatred to you? When you do what's right. Because to them, it's announcing the judgment of God. Is it any wonder that the trans, some of the trans groups are having talking about days of vengeance? Because the very fact of what we believe is announcing perdition. They're under guilt. It's evidence that they are condemned before God. He says, but to you of salvation. It's an evident token to you of salvation. To them it's an evident token of perdition. That word has the idea of damnation or condemnation. So, you know, these are, these, these, the, the word evident token there is, again, so, uh, uh, translated sign, evidence is also translated declare. So it's like declaring to them the perdition of God, the judgment of God. Uh, so trials and tribulation, you know, of the Christian life are part of the Christian life, because again, we live in a world who, who, whose God is our adversaries. But God allows these trials in life for a purpose. If you notice in verse five again, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, Second Thessalonians one, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which also you suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So trials and tribulations are part of the Christian life. And trials test our loyalties. Uh, we know James 1 tells us, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trial of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know, even Hebrews tell, 2 tells us that that through suffering, the captain of our salvation was made perfect. Now, that's talking about Jesus Christ there. And I've often, you know, pondered and puzzled over that. What does that mean? Because Christ is perfect. Christ always was perfect. Well, uh, you know, the word perfect can mean mature or the idea of bringing to full fruition. And I think the suffering of Christ, as we, as we looked at on 
Sunday morning are all indications or, or, or declarations that he is the approved son of God, approved by the Father. So, so his sufferings, in a real way, brought to full fruition, full evidence, who he really is. Now think about that for yourself. When we endure persecutions and tribulations, what Paul is saying to Thessalonians is, look, these persecutions and tribulations are bringing to fruition full manifestation that you are. You do belong to the kingdom of God. You are in the family of God. This is, this is why you're being persecuted. And it's a demonstration, it's an indication to the world of the righteousness of God and the righteous judgment of God. Because to them, it's a condemnation when you endure and you're not terrified by it. And to us, it's a way we glorify God. It demonstrates the power of God in us that is the evidence of divine life. Job chapter 1, and we see this in the life of Job. And this is brought out, I think, very clearly in the example of Job. And, of course, you know, the Lord was accused of protecting Job, which he didn't deny. He didn't say he did or didn't. But in Job 1, verse 8, it says, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feared God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, about his house, and about all they hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all they hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20. Then Job arose. Of course, we know all what happened in between. You know, his, he, he's lost everything that he had. He hasn't lost his health yet, but that's coming. He's lost his family, his children, everything but his wife, his, his uh, servants, his cattle and sheep and all that. And then it says, And Job rose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not nor charged God Foolishly, what did he just do? He proved evidence of divine life. His loyalty to God, even though the Lord allowed everything to be taken away from him. And again, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14, when he says... If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So if we are rejoiced, if we're partakers of Christ's sufferings, he, he is glorified. Uh, and even here in 2 Thessalonians verse 4 says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that, that ye endure. You know, if you want encouragement or be challenged, 
to endure persecutions and tribulations, read the book of 2 Thessalonians about the Thessalonian believers. Doesn't it challenge you? I mean, these are real people in real time, 2,000 years ago, that were suffering and were enduring it. They were enduring it. Verse 10, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, Wherefore also we pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling. Or is this the suffering? Fill all his good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith of power. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see they were an example. He, you know, he wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians and said you're an example to all the regions around about you. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3, and he says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You know, the greatest witness that the world can see is that of a real living child of God, living to please God. And that's what these believers were, were doing. In time of persecution, pressure, in tribulation, the world's going to pressure you from every, from every side. I remember a number of years ago, I was having a neighbor do my taxes. I don't like to pay the IRS. And I, you know, I'm self-employed, so no, I know all I have to pay because I pay all of it. <laughs> I don't get it deducted from my check, you know, and I never see it. She called me one evening, and she said, you know, there's a, there's a, it's questionable, but I could do this and save you a lot of money, but it's questionable. And I said, I don't like to pay the IRS, but I don't want to do anything that's questionable. I'd rather sleep at night. I don't, I don't want any question about it. So it, was, it would save you some money. I said, I know. But no, thank you. You know, the, the world's going to pressure you into doing things that are questionable. And you know, we have to be willing to do what is right. See, God has saved us and leaves us here on this sin-cursed earth to be a living, breathing, walking demonstration of the grace and peace of God that enables a human being to endure, persevere through trials, ridicule, pressures of life, to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And to love your enemies or your neighbor as yourself. And bring glory to him. But I want you to notice a third thing. There is a severity of God's judgment. Notice again verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. That ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God 
to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now, uh, the severity is a, right, is, is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And, and I say severity because, you know, there's, there's a, with God's judgment, there's the rigid exactness or accuracy. Accuracy. Look at, look at uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Romans 11, verse 22. Romans 11. That's, uh, yeah, Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. You know, God's no respecter of persons. God's judgment is going to be according to truth. It's, it's without respect of persons. Uh, and there's, in, in, uh, and so he's going to recompense. Uh, he's going to recompense judgment. He says here in verse six, he's going to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You know, there's a payday com- coming. Payday someday. R.G. Lee years ago instead of now preached a message. Payday someday. It was quite a message. But anyway, it, it, it there there is always going to be a payday. That word recompense means to repay. Repay. And the judgment of the wicked is twofold. It's going to be in present experience. Verse 6. It's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that can't seem to think right. Do you ever wonder why that is? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 28. Now, to understand this passage properly, you have to go back to verse 29, or verse 19, and, and particularly verse 22, 21, 22, because uh, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, uh, and it goes on. But, but anyway, uh, I think the idea here is, you know, God, God judges, you reap what you sow. That is a law. And if, if you don't, if you don't want to acknowledge God and, and reject God and, and turn away from God, he says your foolish heart, you're going to go into vain imagination, and your heart's going to be darkened, and you're going to end up with a reprobate mind. In other words, it's a mind that don't work right. They can't even think right. Brother Ham and I were talking about this a little bit, about you know these uh, world elites you know, Jeff Bozo, some, I don't know, a year or two ago, come out with this idea of building factories in outer space and going to send all the servant class of people 
to live in outer space and do all the work while they, the elites, of course him and his friends and his buddies, you know, the elites of the world enjoy planet Earth and the utopia of planet Earth. <laughs> you know, I read that. It's, it's so foolish, it's laughable. Or Bill Gates is going to somehow, you know, lessen the the heat of the sun to you know prevent climate change. Or you know, year, years ago it was the the they were they were studying how to uh, breed a burpless cow because you know cows giving off methane gas and pollutant. And, and you know, this some of the stuff is so foolish, and yet these are the, supposed to be the smart people of the world. They can't think right. Why can't they think right? Because they're apostates. You know, most of these people, many of these people, have background of some kind of knowledge about God. Take the, the Clintons, for example. Do you realize the Clintons, Bill Clinton grew up in a Southern Baptist church? What happened? They turned away from God, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's going to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, he says. Uh, so if you don't want to think right, you won't. Look at, look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Uh, verse 2, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's what, that's what, they're gonna, that's what he's going to render to them, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, Gentile. So, the idea here of treasuring up, that's a, heaping up the wrath of God. See, these, these wicked people are heaping up the wrath of God against themselves. It's like the, you know, if you, you, you want to, you want to, you have uh, money you want to put in savings and you want, you want to get the, the most for your, for, most for your dollar. So you, you put it in there and you keep it in there so it earns compound interest. And this is the kind of thing, they're, they're treasuring up compound interest, wrath of God against themselves. That's the wicked. Peter tells us it would be better if they had not known the way of righteousness than after they had known it. See, the Clintons knew the way of righteousness. They're not ignorant. It's not like they never knew. But it's better not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it, turned from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Of course, there's future eternal vengeance, verses 7 through 9. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come. And here's the flip side. 
when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. So he's going to be glorified in his saints. There's going to be everlasting punishment on the wicked. Don't ever be envious of the wicked. Look at their end. You know, we need to pray for them. We need to witness to them. The word vengeance here in Vine's Expository Dictionary, the definition was this, quote, the judgments of God are holy and right and free from any element of self-gratification or vindicativeness. Proceeds out of justice, unquote. God's not vindicative. It's justice. In fact, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God's not vindicative against the wicked. It's justice that they're going to receive. They're going to receive it. You know, I can't help but think like this. They want climate change? Read the book of Revelation. They're going to get climate change. It's going to get, it's going to get so hot, it's going to scorch men. And then it's going to get real cold. And then it's going to get real dark. These are the things they want. They want to shed blood. They're going to see bloodshed. This isn't vindicativeness. This is the justice of God. They have shed the blood of the martyrs. Revelation 7 talks about the blood of the martyrs. The martyrs uh, uh, under the altar are pleading God, how long? One day, justice will be meted out. See, you reap what you sow. And Revelation 20, 13 says the wicked will be judged according to their works. You know, the rich man, Luke 16, he was judged according to his works. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Lazarus afar off. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us why Lazarus was a beggar. It just simply says he was laid at the rich man's gate. Someone else put him there because he was laid there. Lazarus was a saved man. He was carried by the angels. He desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's tables, man's table. And I, and I believe that's all he got. The rich man probably thought he was just a worthless bum, unworthy of a good meal from his table. Proverbs 14.31 says, He that oppresses the poor reproacheth his maker. See, the righteous judgment of God was the rich man ended up in hell. It wasn't vindication, it was justice. In fact, I want you to think about something. And I heard a preacher say this years ago, I never thought about this before, but even in hell, the rich man still despised Lazarus. Because he asked for Lazarus to bring him some water, to serve him, like he was still his servant. It was justice. 
So, what's the difference between the child of God and the wicked? Well, verses 8 and 10. Verse 10. Verse 8 and 10. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse to obey the gospel. They refuse to submit to the gospel. Verse 10 says, When he shall become to be glorified in the saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Testimony was believed. It was obeyed. It was acted on. You see, your actions are demonstrations of what you believe. And these people had a manifest token of the righteousness of God. They had characteristic indicators of the life of God in them. They were enduring in times of suffering and persecution. Yeah, we don't know what the future holds, but I can assure you of one thing. If you're going to live very long in this world and live the Christian life somewhere along the way, you're going to suffer for it. You're going to suffer for it. You're going to be put under pressure try and make you conform to this world. And many are going along with it. But there's a payday coming. I believe a payday very soon. And you can be glorified with him or suffer his righteous judgment depending on whether you obey the gospel or not. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, your mercies. We thank you for the privilege we have to know you, to serve you. I pray that you'd help us as your people to be faithful. Help us to trust you, to keep your commandments, to walk worthy, to endure the sufferings, the hardships that this world throws at us, sends our way. And help us to be a witness and testimony to those who would bring that. Help us to endure it patiently, even as Job, and to be a good witness for Christ, that you might be glorified and that they might be receive a, a testimony of the truth, the veracity of the word of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.